What is up? How's it going, Colin? How are you? Very good. Dude, crazy. So just like that, bro, it's two games to two games. Yeah. That's crazy. That Did you watch both of them today? No, only the first one. I was at my grandparents' house for the Aww. second one. Oh, did so you just get home? Yeah, I'll probably watch it after this, though. Dang, yeah, it was. I I didn't watch any of it because I was watching UFC all day. But yeah, did you want to talk about the Celtic game? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Get into okay. it. Yeah. So anyway, the first two games, I feel like we really saw kind of this, like obviously Raptors struggle to score. Yeah. And I thought a lot of that was just um, shooting luck, which obviously has corrected itself over the last two games, like. Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam aren't both going to shoot like under 20% from three forever. And then I think no, Kyle, yeah, for Lowry, sure. Kyle Lowry just made his second three of the series a couple of days ago. So I think those that's probably the biggest shift that's allowed their actors to tie it up at two. Yeah. Just kind of the shooting luck shifting from the Celtics back to Toronto. And with two evenly matched teams, and like me and you talked about this when we sort of previewed the series, we kind of knew it was just going to come down to which team was like hitting their shots and which team wasn't. And Mm -hmm. for the past two games, it's been Toronto and Kimba Walker and especially Jalen Brown both had a really slow um, night offensively. I I thought Kimba's had an extremely impressive series from a defensive standpoint, but the offense wasn't there for him tonight. And Jason Tatum probably had the best night of those three, but really struggled sort of late in the game, um, mm-hmm. especially with like getting to a shot. Like um, OG Ananobi, I thought, did a very good job of taking away what's normally like his go-to um, like driving right mid-range jumper i thought og ananobi did a very good job of i don't think jason tatum shot more than one or two of those today and so i just think the raptors we knew they'd be good defensively and the shooting lucks kind of shifted for them and so i think like it's still anybody's series obviously the raptors have the momentum but i think this is two of the most evenly matched teams in the nba no i def i definitely agree the celtics are good dude they're literally just one one like defensive mishap away from being up 3-0 and now it's 2-2 that's so tough exactly you yeah. know what i mean that is so hard but i know but like the raptors you got to kind of hand it to them though like they seemed like it's it's crazy how much of a, a 180 this series did you know what i mean for real yeah because like the celtics yeah and it's the same thing that obviously people are already making these comparisons and it's kind of the obvious place to look like it's the same thing as what happened last year when the Bucks went up 2-0 against the Raptors and then the Raptors came back and won four in a row. Like, yeah. and I think it's just a testament. Like, obviously, everything I said about the shooting luck and just the, um, just those sorts of luck-based things switching around, obviously everything about that is true. But I also just think it's a good testament to sort of Nick Nurse. Obviously, mm-hmm. I think he's the best no, yeah, in the sure. NBA. But like, even if, he goes down 1-0, goes down 2-0. He can sort of make those adjustments and sort of read the game and um, alter his sort of strategy in ways that allow his um, teams to, like, counter what's been hurting them. And I think he's done a lot of interesting things with the Raptors defense, especially taking away Jason Tatum. He ran box and one for a lot of the past two games with – OG Ananobi guarding Jason Tatum and the other four Raptors players in the zone. And I thought that's been very effective at times. He's even gone with the triangle and two and kept um, Fred Van Vliet on Kimball Walker. And yeah. I think that's a pretty good look for them as well. So just um, obviously, yeah, very impressive by the Raptors. Yeah, I honestly have no idea who's going to win the series now. Like I thought it was a clear cut Celtics, especially after the, how like, because I was thinking, like, if the Raptors have to scrape out a win like that, you know what I mean? Because, like, right. that's what the Mavericks kind of had to do. Right. And I'm like, well, if they have to do that, then I'm not sure how... And they were a little more convincing tonight. Yeah. yeah, definitely more convincing. As for the Nuggets, it seemed like they... I was I followed a little bit. They kind of rode uh, a big first quarter, and they kind of just, like, 
let us, that kind of just like set that like that kind of let them not like let their foot off the brakes or, or off the gas or whatever, but like it got up early and held to the lead. Yeah. yeah. And that kind of, but yeah, you'll have to watch that game. Cause I don't really know much that happened. I was just really surprised to see the nuggets up so much. Right. And the one thing that shocked me, I looked at the box score was I think I saw Kawhi Leonard was like four of 16 or three of 16. And obviously mm-hmm. if you can like hold a guy like Kawhi Leonard to that small of uh, offensive output, you're going to, have a yeah. shot at winning the basketball game. Yeah, for sure. And then so the Rockets, that's another thing that really surprised me though. You wanna talk about the, ro- the Rockets? Really surprising to me as well. What? I said that was surprising to me as well. I know like I know I picked the Rockets on our podcast yeah. and then I actually was having second thoughts about it. And I was actually really regretting it because the more I thought it through, I actually liked a lot of the things the Lakers would be able to do against them, but credit the Rockets defense. Like I know it's been like the number one statistically rated defense um, in the NBA playoffs so far and they've been the best, but I don't really think anybody expected them to do that good of a job against LeBron and Anthony Davis, but they just looked amazing. Yeah. I was surprised to see like JaVale on the court. Right. Yeah. I mean, starting five. Cause you were saying how, cause I don't, I, I forget exactly. Like since they're kind of smaller, you think that like JaVale would kind of get left behind. Right. Right. Yeah. And I guess Even with the white sur- surprised, isn't the best word, but more of just disappointed. Like mm-hmm. I think Frank Vogel is kind of a, like, obviously this is um, his first year with the Lakers in the playoffs, but I think he's kind of establishing himself as one of the guys who might be, a little bit slower to sort of make adjustments and obviously when you're a one seed and you're playing the eight seed you don't really have to make too many adjustments because your team should be able to beat the eight seed pretty much right no matter what but it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to being outplayed by houston if what sort of changes he makes tomorrow night yeah but we this same kind of thing happened against the blazers too you know, maybe the Lakers make adjustments later in the series. This is like a feeling out game or something. Yeah. But at the same time, you never know, though, because like, yeah. I don't know. And the thing about the Blazers series is the Lakers just kind of took advantage of the Blazers. Or yeah, Not even that. They just had such a terrible shooting night in game one. And they just played mm-hmm. so badly in game one that they didn't really have to make adjustments to win the next four. They just had to play better. And yeah. that's pretty much what happened. I think the Lakers are going to have to step a little bit outside their comfort zone to beat Houston. Yeah. But and I definitely think they can. I'm still, I, I'm still like, if you ask me, I'm still taking the Lakers, but. Um, well, cause I mean, after Harden, I mean, you have Eric and you have, Jeff Green and you've got Russell. <laughs> but but like besides but I mean besides Harden, that's like one of your only like consistent scores in my opinion, I feel like. And if he's not going, it's gonna be a long day. Right. But the thing about Harden is that he pretty much impossible to stop him, at least from a Lakers standpoint. Yeah, you're just gonna like, that's basically what you have to do. You have to deal with him. Yeah, the Lakers don't really have – no team has – thunder aside, and I'm sure there are a few others, nobody really has the perfect 1v1 matchup for James Harden. Wait, did you get a new phone? No, no. Oh, yeah. All right. New case? No, I've had this forever. Really? Yeah, uh, this has been my handy-dandy guy, oh, yeah. that's funny. Okay, oh, no. yeah. Never I thought I was it. trying to flex on you or something. <laughs> no. Leaning back with my phone. Jonah, check out my phone. No, this has been my this has been my cellular device since Christmas. Oh really? Um, yeah. I dude, but you know what well, I, I mean, I haven't really seen you that I guess I've seen you a lot since Christmas. So yeah, there's yeah. no excuse for that. Um But this this like spec case is weird though because like I try to clean it. Yeah. But I use like the what do you call it, the isopropyl stuff? Right, yeah. The, and for some reason, it, they, when I put it in a cotton ball and rub it on here, it melts the rubber on Whoa. this phone case. So it ends up turning out really weird. Like, it, I don't yeah. know if you can tell, but the inside just gets really jacked up. 
That's crazy. Yeah, it's so it's the oddest thing ever. But yeah, this is this is where everything is stored. You know, this is like my notes for this because, like, basically with the ESPN app, like I don't really have to write anything down because, like, I pre- I basically remember everything. But it's nice to have like a little reminder of like all the UFC fights. You know what I mean? Yeah, just like jogging your memory about them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry for getting so sidetracked. What no. was I talking about? I was basically. Yeah, talking about Harden, like nobody has, very few people have the perfect 1v1 matchup for him. Yeah. So basically, um, honestly, I'll get to this in a minute. I, I'll, I'll start by talking about what they did do, and then I'll switch over to talking about what they should do. So yeah. basically, they were just letting Harden do whatever he wanted. Like Harden assaulted, assaulted. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, had in my opinion his best game of the playoffs which happened to be the one game he wasn't being guarded by Lou Dort but he was finally starting to get back to the the three ball a little bit he was basically penetrating the defense at will um he had a great passing game I thought too and credit to the Rockets other guys like PJ Tucker got off to a bit of a slow start in the playoffs against OKC didn't have his best shooting series but he had Mm -hmm. a great game last night Robert Covington um well i guess it wasn't a great robert covington game but he made some shots oh and also i feel like an idiot like i was thinking not danny i was thinking of jeff oh yeah jeff remember when i said that (laughs) i I was thinking of he was either eric gordon or jeff green because like i was i said like danny green's on the rockets oh yeah jeff and then i was like no jeff green that's right that's right it's confusing because danny green's on the lakers so there are a lot of a couple of greens in this yeah and didn't uh jeff he's the one that had like heart surgery didn't he like didn't he have like a condition or something oh i'm not sure about here let me look it up let me look look it up up. yeah you continue yeah anyway so then Basically, the Lakers would just send help off the weak corner whenever Harden would get into a scoring position, which is what every team does. And that's probably the most common way to sort of defend um, Harden penetration against your team because, like, obviously a normal center or a normal team would maybe have, like, like a normal team, you're running pick and roll or there's at least a center on the floor in some capacity. And so you can kind of have help room protection in that um, facet. But with the Rockets, that's less of a thing. So if you're going to send help, which you have to with James Harden, you're going to be helping off a guy who's most likely standing at the three-point line and Harden takes advantage of that. And that's kind of what the Rockets offense is based on. And so that was kind of firing on all cylinders last Mm -hmm. night. And, um, you know, the one thing I kind of worry about, though, is I do think there are adjustments the Lakers can make. And once the Lakers do make that adjustments, I don't know when, once they do, or if they do, I don't really know where the Rockets turn after that. So um, the thing with the Rockets is like, because obviously the way they play, yeah, they can diminish a lead quickly. Yeah. Like if they just start, sh- like, that's what I, that's what they did against like the Warriors. Like yeah, they, they make a, a quick, a quick three point barrage. And it's like, oh crap. They just turned like a 12 point deficit into like four points in like, yeah. Two minutes. And then on, on the others, the other side of that coin is also, they can go cold and. No, yeah, exa- exactly. That's exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, a couple of things I think the Lakers should probably start doing. The first one is just, um, take Javel off the floor. He has mm-hmm. no place in the series. I think Dwight oh, Howard might be borderline quick enough to play some minutes in the series. I don't even trust him that much. But yeah, yeah. you weren't high on either of those guys starting yeah. the series. Yeah, I if I were Vogel, I'd play Dwight Howard just because I can't play Anthony Davis. You need years. to become a coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that'd be <laughs> awesome, dude. Yeah, that'd be funny. I've always thought it would be fun to like coach like a fourth grade basketball team no yeah you've said that before yeah i think that would be hilarious but you i mean you couldn't really implement something you kind of just be like i feel like if you tell him something it goes in one ear out the other no exactly but when i was when i was like at west albany and i would be sort of like a coach or an assistant with the like Mm -hmm. special needs basketball team like it would be the same thing i feel like yeah true that 
like it would be fun if anything. Mm-hmm. But any anyway, <laughs> but I think um so I think the Lakers need to start not JaVel McGee at center. Like I think JaVel just has to go is the thing. He's too slow in the half mm-hmm. court, which is where the Rockets were doing most of their damage. And then the other thing I think that has to happen, and the Lakers actually did switch to this a little bit later in the game, which I was pleased to see, is I don't necessarily think um, – I think obviously you have to send help off the corner because that way – because the guy on the corner, whether it's probably not Danny Green, but if it's Contavious Caldwell-Pope or LeBron or preferably Anthony Davis, they can like see the play from the corner and kind of watch – Harden and kind of know when to time their rotation to the rim to sort of cut Harden off. But then I think what has to happen is whoever's guarding Westbrook or maybe Robert Covington, whoever's guarding the guy who's sitting at the wing has to rotate down into the corner to take away that super easy pass for James Harden. And I think you've got to force Harden to kind of throw it back up. Oh, like if Harden's dishing it out to like PJ Tucker in the corner? Yeah. You can't just let Harden make the simplest pass to the corner on every possession. You've got to kind of switch it up and like Yeah, that's him. true. You kinda you you need to make him like if you're gonna if he's gonna drive, you can't just like allow him to just kick it out and then just restart the whole process again. Like if he's gonna do it, at least make him like earn it. Yeah, you've got to kind of you've got to give him the harder passes. And yeah, if that means leaving Covington or Westbrook open instead of Tucker, even though you might want Tucker to catch the ball um, or have the ball compared to those guys, so be it. But I, I think that's still sort of the way to go. And then the other thing that I'm sort of um, grappling with, especially is um, offensively, is I just think you've got to have almost an even more LeBron centric offense. And um, like, I know that sounds crazy because LeBron is one of the most like heliocentric players in the NBA. And when the Lakers are on the court, like obviously LeBron touches the ball on every possession and he's the one initiating almost all the action. Yeah. I think LeBron is just going to have such a mismatch against pretty much whoever's guarding in this series that he's got to be more assertive, like getting to the basket and that's one of the things we saw him do in like games three, four, and five of the series against the Blazers that like the Blazers had problems with. And LeBron's still one of the fastest, most explosive athletes in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And so I think at times he should be a little bit more selfish and stop settling for three pointers, which I thought he did. Yeah, he did that a few. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. So, um, yeah. But as for the Bucks Heat series, to me, that's like one of the more interesting series. Yeah, me too. I because that's the, those are the I, I, I those are like the, the that's like the one of the games that I actually watch from like start to finish. Yeah, because yeah, I just no. I love watching Jimmy buckets. They just have so many good players on their team. Like it's great. The Heat are legit, dude. Yeah, and that's my giving, favorite they're series giving, right now too. They're giving Milwaukee serious issues, and I also think I don't. Is it like a thing? Like is um uh is Giannis hurt? Yeah, he uh, did he, he actually come out with like a statement or something? Uh, he's, well, the Bucks listed him as questionable for game four. Okay. Cause like what he is, is like his knee or ankle, right? Yeah. He twisted his ankle a little bit in like the second quarter, um, yesterday. Okay. Cause I was just seeing, yeah. Oh yeah. I remember that he like fell. Yeah. And then I remember right. he drove a few times and was like, he didn't have yeah. the best look on his face. Yeah. Um, I, I, that's a really exciting, I always like watching the one seeds struggle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which has been happening a lot over the past few days. Like Milwaukee is obviously on the ropes and the Lakers are going to need to figure out some answers against the Rockets. But I guess we could talk about that book series just for a minute. I, yeah. Like, I, bro, if anybody's in trouble, just kick it out to him. You have freaking Duncan, you have Gorin. You have Bam, mm-hmm. you have Jimmy. <laughs> they yeah. have so many good players, dude. And so who else? Cool. You have Hero. Like, it's crazy. Like, if you're in trouble, just dish it to someone. Like, that's a cool thing. Like, if a team's playing really good defense and the shot clock's winding down, it's like, whatever. We'll take it right. through. Yeah, it doesn't even, yeah, it doesn't even um, phase them, especially with a team like Milwaukee, who, like, sort of values the rim protection so much and is willing to give up 
more three-pointers than most yeah. other teams. And a team like the Heat can really take advantage of that. And they've also taken advantage of guys like Jay Crowder, who yeah, exactly. Jay Crowder's playing the best basketball of his career. Yeah, he hit like, like a couple big threes. Yeah. And he's playing awesome defense. Like he's been sort of their base matchup against Giannis. And obviously you're going to send help on Giannis no matter what happens. But Crowder's holding up better than most guys would. Mm-hmm. And um, it's crazy. I talked about this um, when we previewed this series and I did pick the Heat and I kind they're kind of just winning in ways that even I didn't expect. Like I didn't think Jimmy Butler was right. going to be able to get anything going against the Bucks defense. And for the most part, he has. Like he wasn't yep. very good in game two. But game one's game one and game three, like he's basically been doing everything he wants to. Like he's been getting to the basket. He's um, been getting to the line more than ever, which I yep. thought was something that we'd see a decrease in for him. And then my dad's um, in love with him. Yeah, he's such <laughs> like that guy could play any sport he wanted to. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jimmy Butler. I feel like. He's just such a likable guy because his yeah. intensity. I, I like him. He's really cocky, but he's cool. Yeah, I kind of like it for being how good he is. He's still like low key, kind of an underdog, which is really interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. He's. I wouldn't say he's underrated, but like he's. No, not, yeah, for sure, he's not underrated, but like he's like not one of the superstars that you mm-hmm. sort of think of. Yeah, but, I was surprised that his career high is forty points. Oh really? Or it's something like that. He had like a career. It might have been like a playoff career. But is he? It might have been like a playoff career. But there was something about like he had a career high, and it was like they're talking about forty points. I'm like, I'm surprised like he hasn't scored more than forty. Yeah, I feel but like, like I'm, I'm sure he has. I just I, I might be wrong, but that's what he got in game one, though, right? No, you know that's what I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what yeah. I was surprised. Like if he's never scored forty before, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, there's so many, there's, there's a lot of good basketball and really competitive games, which is really cool to see. Like that Bucks game that their, their, um, their lead dissipated, like in the blink of an eye, they're up 10. Yeah. Wait, they were like, it wasn't it like five minutes left in the fourth. No, I think they were up 10 with like nine minutes. Okay. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely earlier in the quarter, but yeah, yeah it went, it went quickly. Cause like the heat went on to outscore them 40 to 13 in the fourth quarter. No. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Didn't, didn't Jimmy buckets outscore the whole entire freaking bucks team. Oh, I didn't see that, but that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's wild. But yeah, there's so much good basketball, but did you get a chance? You probably didn't get a chance to watch any UFC fights. There was some, re- there was some really good, like, it's so funny. My dad, he like talks about how, um, there's not a lot of, uh, like arm bars. He's like, there's not a lot of men's arm bars. Cause like, like a, there's like a lot like Ronda Rousey's like, that was one of her main things. She just, she just put girls in arm bars all the time. But he's like, I don't really see a lot of guys getting arm bars. So it was hilarious. There was like, a bunch of submissions today and he was getting like bored of it, but it was super funny. And there was like an arm bar and I was giving him crap about it. Cause like they happen a ton, but he just, I don't know. He's really stubborn when it comes to some things where he thinks he's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you want to, I'll talk about the UFC for a little bit. There was a bunch of guys that got not a bunch. There was this card was shorter because there was some cancel. I think if someone got COVID like a few guys, Oh really? it's like Jalen Turner or, or something like that. I forget exactly what it was, but Jalen Turner, like, the tarantula he's really good they were supposed to fight and then there was an i think there was a couple other ones that got canceled but i didn't mind the shorter card because it got over earlier and it's kind of sick to do these podcasts once everything's over the only thing that wasn't done is the giants but they just won nice. it, was like the, it was like the eighth inning that's cool four to three and then we'll make sure to we'll do our um players of the week at the end of this oh yeah good call because I, I have a couple okay but yeah so starting off there wasn't in the, cause like it was, it was all basically the main card, but there was one, it was Cole Smith versus Hunter Azure and Hunter Azure is an absolute stud. His wrestling was crazy good. And um, yeah, that fight was insane. Like I don't know, it was pretty competitive, like for how much Hunter was kind of mauling Cole Smith. It was ridiculous because Cole, every time they got up, he was still seemed really fresh and was pushing the pace on his feet, which was sweet. But um Hunter, def- he did enough in rounds one and two to get the dub. And then Vivian, I think it's like Arajau or something. 
Var- Varjao versus Montana De La Rosa, bro. This girl is absolutely stacked. And she was a little, she was like Montana De La Rosa's face looked not even the same after. Like it was so jacked up. But yeah, Montana De La Rosa and her uh, husband, Mark, they're like married and they fight in the UFC together. And like, apparently their daughter or something is like a state champion in Texas. And I'm like, well, she, she has no excuse not to be literally both of her parents are in the UFC. <laughs> They're going to breed her to be just like a killer. <laughs> there are quite a few couples in the UFC, aren't there? Or at least mixed martial. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot of, Oh yeah. At least in mixed martial. Cause like if you train together and stuff, you're like, mm, mm-hmm. I like him. Or like like her and then they get together and then they're like training partners and blah 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 yeah i'm sure all those hormones that like the gym. <laughs> yeah all those women love those alpha males <laughs> yeah these are these are guys with a lot of testosterone i feel like uh yeah yeah i dude i honestly couldn't even imagine like being a coach or something and having to deal with some of these guys like especially if they were hard-headed or whatever telling them something and they're like if they're stuck in their way in their ways and yeah. like I, I just feel like that's probably one of the toughest and just like also like interviewing and stuff. Some of these guys, they're so like, I don't want to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. And you have to, you have to keep such good composure. Cause I've seen, do you know, Nate Diaz? Yeah. I've like, there's this guy, Brett Okamoto, who's an absolute savage reporter for ESPN MMA. Yeah. And he did an interview with Nate Diaz and Nate Diaz didn't want to be there at all. Was giving him short answers or whatever. And Brett was just fine. Kept asking him questions and just like takes and everything. I'm like, that right there is like professional admirable because so, so many people I feel like would get awkward, you know, because you expect people to answer your questions, but if they're like, nah, you're like sick. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like it's definitely tough, but there's definitely a lot of professional athletes like that, like Marshawn, but you kind of expect that. And even like Russell Westbrook. Oh yeah, definitely Russell Westbrook for the NBA, I feel like. No, yeah, for sure. And so that ended in a um, unanimous decision. Uh, Montana, she she had some good moments in there, but she never. She was like starting to feel herself, but it was kind of later in the fight where she was already banged up and she never really started to push the pace or like throw as many strikes in. Vivian throws some hard ass shots. So yeah, she took the dub there. Brian Kelleher came back and fought Ray Rodriguez. Um, I I forget. Brian Kelleher is coming off a loss. I'm pretty sure, but he's been like really busy throughout quarantine, which is awesome. Like, Oh yeah. He beat code. Uh, Oh no, he lost to Cody Stamey. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, he's been fighting it. Cause I'm pretty sure he's, um, let me see. Yeah. He's like a, He's a featherweight, but I'm pretty sure he. No, actually, never mind. I just know he's just been really busy. I thought he was fluctuating in weight and stuff, going down to like 135. But no, yeah, he's just been really busy, and it's really like the UFC must love guys like that. They can just step in on short notice, oh, especially yeah. now. Like I can't like emphasize that enough. Like guys that are doing that, like it's it's massive because anybody at any given time could just get COVID. You know what I mean? And especially if you want to get your name out there, like it's massive for you. If they have to like accept a fight at the last second like that, and they're basically it's like high risk, it's um, low risk, high reward, and they're basically like doing the UFC a favor, if anything. Right, exactly. Does that game still like count against their contract, or does that fight still count like towards their contract? Yeah, and some of these guys aren't even signed with the UFC, and they like the UFC will sign them, so it's like worth it. Yeah. That's true. You know what I mean? If you're like already on a contract, it doesn't really make sense to like waste a game off your contract in a fight you'd have a disadvantage in. But high key though, like if you do it, I'm pretty sure it it will go because you're, they're required. Like the UFC will offer you like four fights a year or whatever, depending or six fights, depending on your contract. But if you take them and I'm sure even now, if you take them, that's going to, that can be used as leverage. Like, yeah, you just like, bro, I stepped in on short notice and took a loss. Like, you can't use that against me. I literally did you a favor. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that's true. So I, I, it kind of goes both ways. And the UFC, I bet more than any other sport, it's probably super important to have a good agent, isn't it? 100%. And if you're smart enough, like you honestly can, if you have, if you like consult with the right people, you could do stuff yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. As long as you have good coaches and, get everything you can because there are some guys that do that and it's not even a bad idea because especially when you're a lower level fighter like they 
agents will take up a lot of your money and you have to pay your corner and your coach and your gym. And by the time you get paid, what, like $30,000 after taxes and you're paying everybody, like, you know what I mean? Right. You have to work on the side. It's not like, yeah, yeah, it's tough. But, and then Andre Mooney's or Munez is really good. I'm pretty sure it was his. It was no, it wasn't his first. He was a Dana White contender series fighter, and he. Oh yeah, uh, this guy, the guy he fought. Um, I think it's like Bartos Fabinski. He like shot and took him down, and then it was the weirdest armbar ever. It was like so like. His, because it helps so much to have like long, flexible legs or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And he just like, um, f- uh, Fabinski was on top of him and Muniz like managed to creep his leg over Fabinski's head. And then he just like grabbed on his, grabbed on his, like, it looked like it was going to be a triangle. And then he just grabbed his arm and then submitted him. It was pretty wild. Like some of these guys, are legit like their submissions are so smooth but wait did i finish brian kelleher he like he won by a guillotine sorry i kind of i kind of messed that up huh uh, what's the guillotine again that's not a regular arm bar is it no okay so sorry my bad mooney's won by an arm bar without like and then brian kelleher won via uh it was uh ray rodriguez took it he uh had an early shot like he took an early takedown and then brian sunk in a guillotine which is basically like imagine me shooting a takedown on you and my head's like this and then you like wrap your arm over the top and then you're like pulling up oh, okay gotcha and then yeah some guys have just really strong squeezes that's basically it what's the most like painful submission in the ufc like what's the most painful position that you can like put your opponent in Probably like an arm bar. Really? Or a knee bar or like an ankle lock thing. Because like if you're around the neck, like it depends. Like it could be probably actually like a neck crank where, Wait, it's, like it, not, where it's not under your chin and you're just uh, like cranking on your chin. Yeah, that would hurt. That would, they don't let people like strangle the other fighters though, do they? <laughs> no, not like you can't put your arm, hand around it. But you can actually put like your hand over your mouth. <laughs> like over their mouth and like you can like restrict their breathing low-key guys do that all the time when they're on top of them like when they're in mount that probably works well for submission yeah because sometimes sometimes guys when they're because like you know when they're on the ground and a guy has his legs over the other fighter yeah so he's in his like guard right. sometimes when guys can't pass their guard like get their legs over their fighter you know where they're where they can't wrap their legs around their like waist, they'll like put their they'll do whatever they can to just like get an advantage. So they'll just put their hand over their face or something, and they'll just try to restrict. That happened today actually. But and then Michelle Pereira is like the guy I want to talk about today. He's literally a savage, like um, Capoeira, like freaking crazy kicks, crazy spin. He did today. He did. Uh, he won via. Uh, rear naked choke, but he w- he like did a, um, like a Showtime kick. Like Anthony, have you seen the Anthony Pettis video where he like runs on the cage and then kicks Benson Henderson? No. Okay. Well, he did one of those. Like he ran on the cage and tried to kick, and then he did like flying knee. And he was actually like the guy that he fought. Uh, oh crap! It was like Imanai for something. Uh. Yeah, Imadayev. And he like slapped him at weigh-ins, Imadayev did. Oh, and so during the fight, Michelle yeah. Pereira was like showing him his open hand and freaking was throwing overhand, open hand bombs, like slap boxing. And he was just cracking him. <laughs> but yeah, um Zalim Imadayev was like he's like a legit boxer. I forget how many bouts he had, but he's only lost like one boxing match. He's like a legit striker. But Michelle Pereira is an absolute savage. You need to w- go on ESPN MMA and watch some of his highlights, bro. He was insane. I watched him uh, actually, like the first time I ever saw him was when he fought Diego Sanchez and he lost because I'm pretty sure he like need, he like got DQ'd because he like need Diego Sanchez while he was down or something like that. 
And so he actually took an L, but he was destroying Diego Sanchez the whole time. But that's a guy, he's one of my performers of the week. Like, Wait, you're not allowed to knee people while they're laying down? In the head. Oh, in the head. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah I forget. When you have, it depends on what rules they're using. But like, yeah. if, you have, if you're have, if you like on, on a knee or something, you can't knee them in the head or something. In like, yeah. Yeah, you that can't seems do that. like a good rule. Because you can like hit people while you're in a really vulnerable position. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you need to watch some of the Mich- Michelle Pereira fights. He's crazy good, dude. And he's built like he's a strong 170 er and he called out Jorge Mass at all, but that will never happen. But I honestly, no one in the 170 pound division needs wants to fight that guy. I swear to God. He's so scary, dude. Like mm-hmm. there's there's just guys that you watch on TV where you're like, yeah that would not be fun. Like that's not like the other guy's not having fun right now. He's not enjoying himself. Yeah. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It's just like the way he hits people just looks so painful. Yeah. No, sometimes there's like a barrier, you know, in between when you're watching TV and you're not actually there, you're like, are this like a regular fight? But he is one of those guys that genuinely makes me uncomfortable to watch him. You feel like the second hand pain from the guy getting his, yeah, life beat out of them by. Mm-hmm. But yeah. do these guys, I feel that for all these fights, no matter what, like it, it kind of all looks painful to me. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It does. Like even, even like this most minuscule things that you don't think would hurt, like just like kicking someone in the shin, like that shit hurts. Yeah, <laughs> like for both ends. So yeah, that- or like or um. I think it looks painful when they like do this, um, kick them in the back of the calves and stuff, you know? No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like checking a kick, like I was just like playing around with my, one of my friends and like, they like checked a kick where like they stuck their like kneecap out and you like hit their knee with your foot and you want to like fall down and die. And those guys take that and they keep standing up. Like right. the toughness is out of this world, but yeah, yeah. she'll put it up. Keep your eyes out for that man. He's an absolute savage. No one should sign up to fight him. He's lost 11 times because he was, he hasn't, I feel like kind of his style. He's prone to getting caught, but like he's going to, he, he would, he'll catch you eventually. But yeah. And then OSP fought Ovin St. Prue fought Alonzo Menafield. Alonzo Menafield is absolutely bodied up stacked both both of them played football like Ovin St. Peru played football at ten, in t- at Tennessee and uh, Alonzo Manifield played like arena football and um Ovin St. Peru he um his last fight was against like Ben Rothwell at heavyweight I'm pretty sure and he lost a close split decision he looked really good and he's moving down to 205 so those guys don't feel as heavy obviously when you're fighting a heavyweight you know what I mean and he clipped him. I forget, but I think it was a left hand. And some of these guys that have such, like I was telling you with Kevin Holland, some of these guys with such long arms, they generate so much leverage and like force with such small, like, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Such small movements and it just sleeps people. It's absolutely out of this world. It's crazy. Yeah. That's the same for like, I feel like golf is like <laughs> when you get the tall people with like long wingspans, like they don't really have to have like a longer like a fast swing to generate yeah like, head like his hand his left hand was like tucked up tight and he just went like and it just like slept alonzo i'm <laughs> like what yeah. and yeah but i can't even imagine like the difference it would be between fighting a huge like a huge man at heavyweight and then having to fight like a smaller guy like i feel like that's such a big advantage for people because moving up in weight class is way more difficult but like moving down and after feeling like a huge man, mm. it's got to be quite the advantage, especially Ovin St. Peru's fought like the cream of the crop at light heavyweight and Alonzo Manifield, just like a rising star. He's still good though. I want to try to get him on the show. He's a really nice guy. Um, and Alistair Overeem versus Augusto Sakai. Augusto Sakai doesn't have his, like I was saying this last time, like previewing the fight, he doesn't have like the resume that, um, Alistair Overeem does, but he still fought super well. But Alistair Overeem ultimately, it was such a, it was so refreshing watching a heavyweight bout where like there was actual strategy. Cause you know how some of these heavy guys can just kind of look not technical at all. This was the yeah, opposite. Like both of these like guys, that. both of these guys were absolute studs. Like 
they had a strategy and like um Alistair Overeem's um experience showed hella tonight because he kind of not that Augusta got tired but he kind of played a little rope-a-dope game where he would let Augusta Sakai kind of charge him and obviously Alistair Overeem ate some heavy shots but he kind of just like crunched up and against the cage a couple times and just let um Augusta Sakai like hit him with a couple flurries and it was really weird I thought he was hurt at one point but then the fight started to change when Alistair started taking him down and ground and pound. And Augusta, he was taking him into some dark, deep waters that Augusta, I don't think was used to, um, like he wasn't accustomed to that. So yeah, a sick, sick night of fights, lots of finishes, which is always cool to see. And even the, um, the decisions were just action packed from like the, um, first round of the third or fifth, which is awesome to see. But yeah, there's so many other good fights that are coming up, like Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa and um, Colby Covington versus Tyrone Woodley, dude. <laughs> You're gonna ha- you have to watch that. The promos and like the buildup for that fight is gonna be crazy, especially now because Colby Covington is one of the most like divisive figures in the in the mma community yeah, it's funny i don't even follow ucf or anything like that but i still see <laughs> colby covington everywhere yeah. i feel like i know yeah he's he's something else but yeah and then today uh the freaking 53 man rosters have become official we cut a few of my guys like savon Ackman got cut running back from university of washington but that was earlier Jawan jennings got cut um, from Tennessee, he was like a seventh round draft pick or something. And then I, I think, think all Jim, guys who are on the 49ers. Yeah, 49ers guys. And then Jamichael Hasty got cut. But yeah, I'm really happy with our 53 man run. Like it's sick. There's so many good guys, dude. That's it's awesome. pretty. It, yeah, uh, they were supposed to be like a trade or something weird that was going to go down before, but apparently nothing happened. But yeah, and then Jadavian Clowney went to the freaking Titans, which is crazy. I'm sorry, I, I don't think he's officially. Is he officially there yet? I'm not sure. Oh, oh yeah. Expected it. Clowney expected to join the Titans, sources say, which is crazy. Just as long as he's not a Seahawk. Yeah, true. You know what I mean? He yeah. he single-handedly ruined that first game against the against the Niners. Like, but yeah, the Niners are absolutely gonna tear through everybody. I swear, dude. I don't besides the guys in our division, if we're we're playing the whole NFC East, there's no way people are there's no way any teams are beating us. I swear. You predicted 14 and 2, right? Mm-hmm. I just see it, maybe a hiccup against the Bills or something, and then against like probably against the Seahawks. I just do not see a lot of teams beating the 49ers. Like they're stacked to the brim on yeah, defense, dude. They got Jason Verrett, all pro, or at least a pro bowler, who's going to take over the other side. Or he's expected to be, they take over the, um, like the other corner side, you know what I mean? Because obviously Sherm's there. Yeah. And Sherm might even transition because now that they have depth, they might even transition him into safety, playing safety a little bit, which is good. That would kind of be weird, I feel like, to see him at safety. But I we got to do what we got to do, though, because I mean, yeah. he's going to, when we play like teams that can stretch the field, yeah, he could get burnt. And that's the last thing we need. They, like, that's some of the big, that's base, that's probably our biggest weakness is getting burnt. Mm-hmm. besides that we stopped the run really well for most games but i'm actually pretty pleased with my pick to pick the ravens because the ravens have to play like the bills and the Bengals, you know and the yeah. niners defense on fantasy they have to play the F- seahawks the rams and the cardinals and it, it's inevitable they're going to give up points to those teams you know what i mean right yeah so i honestly feel like the ravens defense is actually the move mm-hmm. but That's yeah true. Yeah, it's crazy that it's like this episode is kind of sick though because it's almost like everything is coming back. Like, there's not just like one thing we can talk about. Like, there's gonna be like college football, and then, then now there's the NBA with the NBA is kind of like winding down, but it'll still be here for like a month. And then, yeah, this I, this is something I noticed. It's just kind of a like rant, random thing. It doesn't really matter. But when I um, was like um, watching TV earlier. And when I turned on the TV, it was just on ESPN. And there was like a college football game between, I want to say, Arkansas State and Texas State or mm-hmm. whatever. 
And have you watched college football yet this year on ESPN? No. Like the little scoreboard thing at the bottom of the screen looks completely different now. It does? Yeah, they have changed it. And I think really? They, I think it's really cool now. What does it look like? Well, you know how... Um, how, is it, how it's not like the little box where it's on top of each other anymore? No. Um, now they have like a long one that stretches across the entire bottom of the screen. Um, here, let me see if I can pull up a picture of it. It's like very, it's like very colorful. Um, really? Did you see Kirk Herbstreit's thing that he did today? No. Bro, you need to look it up. He was like crying. It was pretty cool to see. Was it like a racial? Um, yeah, injustice thing. It was really sad to watch. Because like, it's so weird seeing some of these people that like, you see like usually happy because that's like their job, you know, and <laughs> they're doing college game day. And now yeah. it's so, it's so odd. Oh, it was S it was Texas state against SMU. Okay. Let me see. Let me see. Bro. That looks just like the Madden one. Really? Yeah. It kind of looks like the Madden one, except the Madden one's on the top. Like I at least it, the numbers look like that. I thought it kind of looked, Reminded me of Monday Night Football. Yeah, it looks just like Monday Night Football. Yeah. Hey, that looks cool. Yeah, I thought it was a. I thought it was a nice update. No, yeah, for sure, it looks really cool. And you get kind of like instead of getting the little abbreviations, you kind of almost get the whole name down there. <laughs> yeah, and you can see the team logo and stuff all the time. I thought it was a. Wait, was was that like, the, that's the SMU game. Yeah, I thought it was an up upgrade. Bro, there was one team. I think it was like. Um. Let me see. I think it was because we were talking about We Are Marshall. Mm-hmm. And Marshall beat Eastern Kentucky like 590. <laughs> really? Yeah. Eastern Kentucky is like FCS though, right? Uh, probably, yeah. And then Middle Tennessee got slashed by Army, which is no surprise. 42-0. But yeah, dude. They're, like, I'm kind of sad that the Pac-12 is not going to be playing though, honestly. Same with that. I'm pretty sure didn't the Notre Dame went to the ACC to play because they're like yeah. unaffiliated. That's a smart yeah. move, dude. And it makes sense because they're like already in the ACC for basketball. So it's basically the yeah. same thing. Exactly. But yeah, it's going to be really weird. Like the Big 12 is playing, ACC is playing, and the SEC. So basically, I don't, it's going to just be like, you might as well just penciling Clemson and like, what the, sec play for whatever but i it's really stinks like i want to see like ohio state playing oregon and that's not gonna happen it's yeah. such trash dude i basically like not to sound like pessimistic but i basically stopped caring about college football as soon as i like realized there wouldn't be any fans in the stadium because i don't really i don't really watch fans is what make college football legit like tailgating yeah and, exactly yeah, it's like the pageantry of it, I feel like. No, yeah, exactly. And like, I don't know. It's just gonna be really I don't really I'm not even I don't really care about college football now that the Pac twelve is not playing. Yeah, it's gonna be a strange fall for sure. Well, I just don't understand what's gonna happen with the like the champions. Like there's gonna be two separate champions if they end up playing later this year in the winter or the spring. Like how's that even gonna work? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a good point, yeah. Are you just, just going like, to stay be- ready and then have a legit national championship or what? Because a Pac-12 team is and a Big Ten team, the Big Ten, like, I don't know. Those seem, those are like um, kind of the power second power. tier of the Power Five. Like to me, to me, well, I actually do JK, bro. Like, I don't know. I feel like Big 12, Big Ten, Pac-12 are always in the same boat like talent wise. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Cause it's always the SEC that dominates everything. And then the ACC obviously have Clemson. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then honestly, the other- like just the SEC and everybody else. And then whoever's lucky within whoever gets the best talent in between those years. Yeah. That makes it, that, that makes it run. The SEC is the most consistent. Like you might as well just have like a freaking play, like a tournament between the SEC teams. Because that's basically because if you put literally any SEC team against a Pac-12, Big Ten, or Big Twelve school, it's competitive. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's crazy. 
The SEC has pretty much been the best college football conference since like we've been alive. Though. Yeah, you can put Ole Miss against one of the best teams in the Pac-12. Like one of the worst teams in the SEC against one of the better teams in the Pac-12. I guarantee you the Pac-12 is going to have a really difficult time playing for at least the first half. Yeah. Like they're going to have – like that's just how it rolls. Like it's weird. Didn't Cal beat Ole Miss like last year? Probably, yeah. Or like did Cal was kind of hot at the beginning of the season. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, like, I don't know, but if dude like playing an SEC school beats the crap out of you, like yeah. Oregon, Oregon playing Auburn, like I don't think Oregon could, could sustain a whole season playing in an SEC. You know, like the physicality is just different. Yeah, like, even though that's like what Mario Cristobal is like trying to do is kind of trying to recruit like big physical kids in turn Oregon. Right. No. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean, but it's just different when you have to play those teams every single week, oh, yeah. week in and week out. Like it's, it's honestly some, like, it's no wonder that those are the best guys that survive in the NFL. Yeah. But then, they're used to it. But then it's like, you go to the big 12 and like, I feel like a lot of teams would have trouble like keeping up with that, like pace weekend. And so every conference just, I feel like brings something different to the table. 110%. But yeah. Is there anything? Oh, as you see translates to the NFL the most easily, I guess, like you were saying. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like you get obviously like the Lamar Jacksons and like Patrick Mahomeses and stuff, but yeah. like but unless you're like players that are legit. Yeah, most of them come from the SEC, right? Because that's what I'm saying. Like Oregon, they can prepare all off season. They play Auburn. I feel like that takes a crap out a crap ton out of you playing that. But Auburn has to turn around next week and then play freaking like even like a Texas A&M or something. You know what I mean? Like that's tough. For sure. And also that's why that's kind of why they like teams have a shot, especially in the ACC and the big 12 or big 10 or Pac 12, because they can kind of, if they have, if they make it to the postseason, they haven't rested obviously, but they have time to prepare for it. Some of these oh, teams yeah. in the sec, they don't have time. They have to go week to week, like back to back to back to back, just pounding away. Yeah. Good point. That's why that's kind of what I thought about. Like Chip Kelly when they played Auburn, yeah, in the 2011 national championship game, right? I'm like, if Oregon had to play in the SEC week in and week out, they would get torched. But since they had what five weeks, four weeks to train mm-hmm. or prepare, that's mm-hmm. what kind of gives them an advantage. I think that's what made that that's what levels the playing field. Yeah, I don't know. I could be stupid, but that's kind of just what I think. Yeah, I mean, like, Oregon, I feel like is a... They're changing a lot, though. Oregon's going to become a powerhouse soon. Yeah, and they're... Like a different kind of powerhouse. They've always been, like, super good, though. Like Right, for sure. But, like, maybe their guys just can compete with, I guess, like, like, physicality and strength for, like, a whole season. But, I mean, like... I don't see anybody... I don't really see a lot of teams that would have competed, like heavily with Oregon this year like SC, uh, USC is good I don't know how much I feel like Utah lost a few good players like they obviously lost their best running back and then yeah, Utah I wouldn't have picked them Arizona yeah. State's a sleeper though yeah with like Jaden Daniels um but they USC, lost you just USC would be the main one though but do you want to hop into our performers of the week yeah, for sure. You can go first since I've been talking a lot. Okay, so I guess, let's see. For my performer of the week, I guess I'll go with the guy we've already talked about, um, Jimmy Butler, because mm-hmm. I feel like you've got to give props to somebody from the Heat because going up 3-0 against the one seed when you're a five seed is like a crazy accomplishment, and he's sort of been the ringleader for him. I think he's been their leading score in two of the games. And yeah. he's obviously just sort of the heart and soul of the team. And yeah, he's just playing really good basketball and he's got his teammates playing really well too. So I'll take Jimmy. What about you? I'm going to go with obviously Michelle Pereira. I can't like, like this guy's a savage Pro- He's only 26 years old. Definitely going to probably contend for the belt within the next one to two years. Oh, wow. God, win- God willing. And then my other boy, Alex Dickerson, left fielder for the San Francisco Giants. 
is an absolute savage. Let's see what he. I think he pinched it today, but I don't think he did anything. He got a, He got a rest day. Darren Ruff filled in for him today, which is good. He he's earned a day off for sure. But I just want to. He he's juiced up his batting average, uh, like pr- close to a hundred points in the last like week. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. He because he was the guy that I told you went like five for six with two doubles and three home runs. Yeah. The other day, like the fifteenth, he's like the fifteenth guy ever to do that. Um, let me see. I don't think he did anything today. Like I said, I, he pinched hit, I believe. Oh yeah, he went over two today, but he's it's fine. Okay, let me see. He um, recent games, he was batting. He was batting. I believe it was like one. A no, yeah, he was batting 195 on August 28th. Okay, and now it's August what fifth? Yeah, September or September fifth, and he's batting 277. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's my boy right there, dude. I'm getting really, I'm, I'm really happy with the Giants. Like they obviously took the dub today. They played good yesterday. They were one base running error from taking a dub most likely or at least sending it to extra innings the day before like the day before and or or yesterday obviously but there's almost getting to the point where there's no holes in the lineup which is really crucial if you want to make a run in the playoffs like brandon belt's hitting good brandon crawford's hitting good mauricio dubon and then they are like they actually did they had like a rest day Mm -hmm. or because like after the game where they scored like 23 runs against the Rockies and they ended up losing the next game. Dude, that made me so mad, but they had a rest day and like, they're getting a lot of playing, like young guys are getting a lot of playing time and they're looking really promising. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Cause you didn't really have any expectations for the Giants, So it's kind of cool. Like when you've got a young team who's not expected to contend, but then you can like see some growth and internal improvement. No, yeah. Like, for almost, sure. It almost feels like a, like a really good season. Even if you like don't make the playoffs. Yeah, I honestly think we will. Like we're gonna get like we're gonna get hot here because we already are hot. Like we can play any team in the league and do fine. Like we've literally competed our asses off against the Dodgers and they're like the one of the best teams in baseball. So we're gonna be fine. Nobody wants to play us because we generate offense no matter who's pitching. Oh, we faced Mad Bum, Madison Baumgartner for the first time since he's left. He was like our ace. And now yeah. he's a diamondback. Yeah. And we faced him today. And Evan Longoria and Darren Ruff hit bombs off of him. Pretty sick. I'm not exactly sure what happened to our starting pitcher today. He only threw like um, two and two. So he threw two inning, two and two thirds innings. So I don't know what happened there. We had to like kind of piece together our game, which is kind of tough. Yeah, for especially sure. nine innings. <laughs> like yeah. that is tough. But yeah, super pumped. Our team's looking very promising, and I get really frustrated reading articles and stuff about how the Giants—they're—they're they're perfect for like this. I—I've I, I, also said it, but after watching like the games that they played, I really think that they have talent that could sustain a whole 162 game season. But everybody's like hating on them. They're like, they have just enough where they can compete right now. And it's like mm, I don't know about that. Like they have some really good players, and as long as they stay like semi-consistent. And I feel like it, we're at a point now too where it's like guys that are playing and playing good, it's not really a fluke anymore. Yeah, it's a large enough sample size. At this right, point. exactly. But I'm I'm 100% down if they want to decrease some of the games off their original schedules. Yeah, I mean, you might as well because... This is making me appreciate the 162-game season more, you know, because I know like people are always like, you got to earn your money like you're playing just baseball every single day. But it's like... It's actually kind of a grind, bro, because I've been like watching most of the games. Yeah. Knowing that because every game basically matters. Yeah. And it's like, this is how they feel for like 162 games, and they have to play day after day after day. And I'm just like watching it, and I'm like, bro, it's kind of a lot. Yeah. I know that they're like pushing a lot of stuff together. Like travel days aren't as frequent now, but it's like a lot. Yeah. And the way I always sort of think about it is because. They want to play a lot of games, obviously, to like generate revenue, and they can sell tickets and like commercials yeah. during every game. 100%. But like, 
you reach a certain point of diminishing returns, I feel like, where once you've played a ton of games, like each big game becomes less meaningful and the fans start like not caring and sort of tuning out of like unimportant games. And so like, I feel like really you could make more money by having less games. And even though you're selling like less tickets, you're selling more tickets per game and you're selling them at a higher price that you could really end up breaking even and you'd have a better product because guys would be better rested and all that stuff. So 100%. I agree that I agree with that 100%. And also to piggyback off that, it, I I don't think it's right to have a like a season where like if you fuck up for a month that doesn't that can that, that won't necessarily hurt you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. I that kind of bothers me. Yeah. Like how a good team they can just kind of cruise in. You know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. Like in, I don't in, think in that you should that, be able to take a month off. Like like not that they do, but like if you if you go like sub like freaking if you win like 33 Point three or percent you if you win like a third of your games for a month like that doesn't affect you you know like i think that's kind of crap the thing i do like about baseball though is like how few teams make the playoffs like they're expanding it though this year they are yeah this year's like a whole experiment now they dude yeah i've heard so much stuff on the radio about rules that they want to change like expanding it and even like teams picking the 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 wild card team that they want to play I think that's a good idea. Like, isn't that wild? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a cool... I've always sort of advocated that for the NBA, that, like, they should have a fantasy draft and the one seed should be able to pick any team they want to play. And then the you mean, like, seed. a lottery? Yeah. Well, not really a lottery. What do you mean a fantasy draft? Yeah, fantasy draft, because it wouldn't, mean? like, be by chance. I just think it would be cool because there would be, like, rivalries. Because, like, if the one team picked, like... I guess the seventh seed, the seventh seed would like take offense to it, you know? Oh yeah. True that. 